your hands with me because this out of sign of excitement and, and, and expectancy for tonight. Uh, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this room right now. Jesus, you are God of everything. You are in all. You are all God. And our life, it says in the Bible, is hidden in Christ. So for us to truly come alive, we must find Jesus. So God, help us find you on Thursdays. Help us find you on Saturdays. Everywhere we go, Jesus, we are hungry for you. We are hungry for what you have in store for us and in our life. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Amen. So I have this bike here. I have this bike. And something that that I love uh, to do, although... I, I maybe okay. I can't say that. I don't really love love to do it. Something I enjoy doing, although I don't have a bike right now. Okay, this is, I, I stole this from my parents' garage. <laughs> this is Jared's bike, actually. So, um, so w- something that's enjoyable is, is here, here, like Kent Trails. Anyone like go to Kent Trails? So like when something's really enjoyable for me and Abby is we'll like we generally we rollerblade. We've we've ridden our bikes down Kent Trails. Go down to Houseman's Ice Cream. Come on, all my Byron Center people, Houseman's Ice Cream. Eat way too much ice cream, feel like crap right afterwards. Because I get, it's like, you ever have that where you go to ice cream? This is probably just me. Um, where you're like looking at the sizes, and it's like small, medium, large. And you're like, man, so I'm paying four bucks for a small. It's only f- a dollar more for a large. It's like, this is a no-brainer. <laughs> this is a no-brainer, okay? This is such a deal. So you get the large ice cream, you know? And then the cup doesn't look that big when it's just empty. But then once it's filled with ice cream and, and fudge, and, and my favorite, I love peanut butter. Like peanut butter is, I eat peanut butter out of the jar. It's like amazing. Um, like peanut butter cups and peanut butter uh, syrup. And it's just like, and you, and you get it. And then you're like, and then you get like five bites and you look down and you haven't even gotten to the tip of the ice cream. You know what I'm talking about? And then you're like, well, I paid for it. I got to eat the whole thing. And then you eat the whole thing, and then you feel like total trash right afterwards. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, my gosh. But the thing is, is I never learn. <laughs> like, I never learn. It's not like a next time, and it's like a repeat all over again. It's like small, medium, large. Oh, I'm going to get the large, and then you eat it. And it's just a repeat. So one of these days, I will break the cycle, um, but just not right now. So we have a bikes. So we like to ride our bikes. But um, anyone ever been to Mackinac Island? Back on island, that's like really fun, um, really fun. One time, this is like no judgment, okay? I was in high school. Anything you do before you're 18 doesn't count, okay? I'm kidding, it does, because if you sin before you're 18, that counts, but Jesus will forgive that, okay? So this is before I was, I was, I was still in high school. So I was, uh, every, every year, me and some of my good friends, Noah Hoverding, Justin Gregg, Nathan Muenberg, you guys probably won't ever watch this, but if you do, love you guys. Um, so we would do a man weekend every year in high school. And my friend Noah had a house or a cottage up on Mackinac Island. So we'd go there every year and we'd stay there and we'd just go crazy. Like, I, I don't know why my parents ever let me go on a weekend trip with my friends with no parental supervision to Mackinac Island, but they did anyway. So one time, uh, we were just crazy, like crazy people. So we had an idea and we were going to ride our bikes all the way rocking around Mackinac Island in Speedos. Don't judge me, okay? Uh, some of you dudes have done way worse, okay? So I had, uh, so I had this, uh, I got this Speedo, and we all got our Speedos, and we rode around Mackinac Island, 
and it was the most, it was the most, glo- it was not glorious. It was the worst thing, but the funniest thing, because you, you just have four dudes all in Speedos, just like dry, riding down Mackinac Island in bikes, and don't picture it, okay? But, so we're riding, everyone's just looking at us, literally like, what in the world are you guys doing? But um, that has nothing to do with my message, but it has to do with bikes. Um, so what I want to talk to you about is kind of the, this, the, the title of the series is Move, okay? So we're going to be in a series in the next four, uh, four weeks titled Move. And by the way, the last week of this month is our Halloween party. Me and my wife and Rammer ha- are going to come up with some epic costumes. It's going to uh, be amazing. We're having a costume party, okay? We're doing a big giveaway for the winner of the costume party. So I'm leaning towards Mr. Incredible, Elastigirl, and Jack-Jack right now, okay? That's what we're going for. Anyway, so the next four weeks will be in a series called Move, and, and this is what I've noticed about bikes. Pastor Dwayne uses this analogy quite often, is that you cannot steer a bike if it's not moving. So you can turn, like, if you're not moving, there's no direction to go. But as soon as a bike starts moving, you can then at that point steer the bike. And so as we, as we step into this series, what I want to I touch at and, and spur us on, encourage us in, is to start moving. Start moving. So we're going to be going through a story in 1 Samuel 9. It's the story of Saul. And if, if any of you have been around for like three years or more, um, I did a message on this over three years ago. I'm going to take it a little bit different twist. So it's in 1 Samuel 9. It's about a guy named Saul. So Saul was, at this point, he was just a normal person. And it says in 1 Samuel 9, 5 through 6, that Saul's dad was named Kish. Kish had some donkeys, so he had a farm. I don't know how you exactly how you lose donkeys, but Kish lost some donkeys. So Saul lost some donkeys, okay? So they ran away, they lost them. And so Saul, or Kish went to Saul and said, Saul, I need you to go find the donkeys. I need you to go find the donkeys. And so Saul took one of his servants and they went out searching for the donkey. And they're gone for a few days. And as they're, after they were gone for a few days, Saul says, hey, to the servant, hey, I think we should go back. It's been a few days. My dad is probably worried about me at this point. Back in this time, there were no cell phones. There were no phones. There was no Snapchat. There was nothing to communicate. So it was like, you know, there was, they had, they were, he, he had thought that his dad would be worried. His servant said this, though. 1 Samuel 5, or 1 Samuel 9, verse 6. This is what his friend says. But the servant replied, look, in this town there is a man of God. He was highly respected, and everything he says comes true. Let's go there now. Perhaps he will tell us what way to take. So here we are. Saul is about to turn around and go home, and his friend says, let's keep moving. His friend says, let's not give up. His friend says, there's a man of God who may be able to help us. The first, the first point I want to pause here on and really hit home is, is when you come to a crossroads, where are your friends going to lead you? 
We all have, we all have situations in life, we all have circumstances to where we're at a crossroads. We're at a crossroads emotionally, we're at a crossroads relationally with a boyfriend, girlfriend, we're at a crossroads with our job, we're at a crossroads with our faith, we're at, we're doubting our faith, we feel, we feel this or we feel that, or we're at a crossroads with a career change, we're at a crossroads with, with which college to go to, we're at a crossroads of all of our morality, we're at a crossroads of deciding whether or not to go down a path of morality or purity, we're at a crossroads, and here's the point is that if you do not have a friend, someone by you, who will keep you moving in the right direction, most often than not, you'll choose the, bad, the, the, the wrong direction. Show me your five closest friends, I'll show you where you'll be in five years. Here's a rule of thumb. Never be the most spiritual or the most mature person in your friend group. <laughs> you know Why? Because you rise to the level of the people you hang out with most. And what I see here with Saul is that Saul had this servant who went with him. And Saul, as you'll find out, would have never reached his destiny if he didn't have a friend. And I meet a lot of people, and so many of us, we have a great community here. We have a, we are, there's pockets of just rich, rich community. It's centered on Christ. But I also meet a lot of individual people here at Access and, and, and they come, and they're not connected. They like to come, but they have these other friend groups that are terrible influences on them. And they go to bars, and they go out, and they, and they, and they, they do all of this. And, and, and then they come to me, and they're like, yeah, but I don't participate. Here's the reality. You're being influenced every time that you're around that people. Now, what I'm not saying is you can't be around those types of people because we need to be a light. But who are your five closest? Who's that? If you remember our Powerful People series, who is that inner circle of friends that you trust the most? Let's keep going. So they, he says, let's go to the man of God. So they went to the town where this man of God was, and they go to this woman, and they're like, hey, do you know where the prophet is? And, and the woman says, yeah, he's up there in that town. Go, and you'll find him there. And the day before Saul meets this prophet named Samuel, it says this in 1 Samuel 9. 15 through 17. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people, Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people for their cries reached me. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, this is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. So this is... This is so interesting to me, so interesting to me, that Saul is on a journey to find a donkey, and on the journey to find a donkey, he finds his destiny. Oh man, we're going to get back to that. I'm going to finish the story here. So Saul, this is 1 Samuel 9, 18 through 20, they, they get introduced to each other. So Saul approached Samuel in the gateway and asked, would you please tell me where the seer or the prophet's house is? And uh, Samuel says, I am the seer or the prophet. Samuel replied, go up ahead of me to the high place, for today you are to eat with me. And in the morning I will send you on your way and will tell you all that is in your heart. Hey, could you guys do a timer for like 20 minutes on the screen for me? Thank you. I just don't want to be here till like 9 o'clock because I'm so passionate about this that I probably would go till 9 if I didn't have a timer. 
You guys are quiet. What the world is wrong with you guys? <laughs> so he keeps, he keeps they're, they're talking, and he's saying, go up, I had to meet to the high place for today. You were to eat with me. So he meets him, and he goes to eat with this prophet, with this man of God. He goes to eat with him. And then in 1 Samuel 9, uh, 9, 9 verse 20, and he says this. He basically says, yo, I know your donkeys are lost. Don't, you don't need to worry about the donkeys. Because he says, as for the donkeys you lost three days ago, do not worry about them. They have been found. So this, the, the prophet Samuel gets like a word of knowledge, a prophetic insight into, into Saul's situation and says, he says to him, yo, like God show me you were looking for these donkeys. Hey, don't worry about them. They're already found. You're here for a greater reason than to find your donkeys. Into whom is all they are, uh, do not worry about them, they haven't found. And this is, then he says this in 1 Samuel 9, 21. I don't have this passage up on the screen, you can just listen. Saul answered, but, I am, not a ben- but I, am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribes of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? Basically what Saul says is, I am the least of the least of my culture, of my neighborhood, of my society. There is no way that I could be king because I am the lowest on the totem pole. And this is a statement to all of us that it does not matter where we come from. It matters who we know. It, is not, it does not matter what family you come from. It does not matter what, what your upbringing was like. It does not matter how tall you are, how, how short you are, how fat you are, what your gender is, what your race is, race, what your heritage is. It does not matter where you come from. If you come from Wyoming, from Kentwood, from Granville, from Hudsonville, from Holland, from West Ottawa, from Grand Rapids, from the east side, does not matter where you come from. God can do amazing and mighty works for, for you if we will open our ears to hear from him. Does not matter. God is the great resurrector of people. So then he meets him, and, and Samuel is basically like, yo, like, it doesn't matter what you think. God has called you. It doesn't matter what you think. And at this point, I can imagine, like, can you imagine... Can you imagine being like tomorrow? Okay, Nick, okay, tomorrow. Um, tomorrow, someone comes to you from the White House. And they're like, hey, I had a vision from God. You're going to be the president of the United States of America. <laughs> I'd be like, Lord, help us. <laughs> Let's be real, I still say that now. Lord, help us. <laughs> Lord, help us. So you can imagine he's still probably a little bit skeptical, okay? Because just because you get a word from God, just because somebody tells you something that's going to be true doesn't mean that you actually still believe it. <laughs> if you ever had it, someone comes to you in church or maybe, and they're like, listen, you can do mighty things. You can do great things. You're, there's hope for you. And you still kind of feel like, yeah, hey, I'm not seeing this. <laughs> like, I don't know what you're seeing. Is there someone behind me? I can imagine Saul felt this way, but let's keep reading. So they have dinner. Saul spends the night with Samuel. Not in the same, but not, they spend the night in the same house. In the morning, Samuel anoints Saul with oil 
as the prince or the king over all of Israel. And on his way home, Samuel says, you're going to have three encounters with three different groups of people on your way home. And remember, don't worry about your, the first group is going to, the first group is going to give you food and they're going to give you everything you need. The second group is going to tell you all about your donkeys and they're going to tell you that your donkeys are okay. And the third group is going to be a group of prophets. They're going to have tambourines and all these musical items. They're going to be singing and dancing and looking like fools. And when you get around them, watch what happens. Can you imagine if someone told you this? So you're walking down the road, you're going to see a bunch of flakes running around with tambourines singing to God. You're going to be like, yeah, I'm going to walk down this other way. It's over here. <laughs> I have nothing against tambourines, by the way. <laughs> so he goes and he meets with these prophets. You, can you imagine that was you? Like you're, you're like, what the heck is going to happen to me right now? <laughs> like, I don't know what's going to happen to me. 1 Samuel 10, verse 6 says, this is what's happened, this is what happens to Saul. After he had done, after he had prophesied and danced and sang with the prophets, then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you. You will prophesy with them and, and be turned into another man. See, this is, this is the great beauty of God because he'll speak hope and destiny and future into you. But until we have an encounter with the living God, become new creations and start living not as our old self, but as our redeemed, spiritually alive and active, on fire person. You see, God's job is to resurrect us. It's our job to receive it. then you will be turned into another man. What I want to focus in on in this passage and in this story is this, the two phrases here, but this is the first one. God meets us in the middle of our obedience. <laughs> there is no substitution for, obe for obedience to God. None. We can sing, God, you love me, God, you love me, God, you love me. There is no substitution for obedience to God. Sometimes Abby, like, Abby is, is really big into health and nutrition, and sometimes she likes to substitute, like, uh, for sugar. Like, when something, like, when she's baking or cooking and something calls for sugar, She'll substitute honey for sugar. Anyone else do that? Like, yeah, I substitute honey for sugar. There are no substitutions for obedience. There's no preference when it comes to obedience. And here's why. God is not a rule keeper who's cracking his whip on your back. This is what God knows. God knows that obedience is a key ingredient to moving you into the next season and the next level of glory that he has designed you for. This is exciting. This is exciting news that our next season is not dependent on the weather 
our next season, our next level of glory in relationship with God is not dependent on our family. Our next level of glory in relationship with God is not dependent on our job, on our school, on our bank account. Our next season of breakthrough, of glory, and of relationship with God is all in your court. And it's called obedience. He's not, not going to crack a whip on your back. He's not, he doesn't want us to obey to crack the whip. He wants us to obey so we can experience him even more. Because here's what disobedience does. Here's what disobedience does. You see, God meets us in the middle of obedience. God also meets us in the middle of our disobedience. He's amazing. You see, you can mess up, you can turn around and find God, and guess what? God is right there. You can have a terrible day, lose your temper, look at stuff on the computer. You can do stuff with your boyfriend and your girlfriend that you go home and you're like, ah. You can, you can go out and you can party, get drunk, wake up and be like, ah, and then come to access and you're still. But here's what disobedience does. Disobedience delays your destiny. disobedience. You see, God meets us in our disobedience. He's there to forgive us. He's there to meet us and comfort us. He's there to restore us, redeem us, make us into the new creation. But God is not about broken fix, broken fix. God is about bringing you and me from glory to glory. He's about bringing you and me from one stage of maturity to the next. And if we're constantly living in disobedience, we're always stuck at the infancy stage and we're never growing up. There's only one way to grow up. Obey. You know when your parents give you more responsibility? When you're found trustworthy. <sighs> you see, this isn't a condemning message. This is the most inviting message that I could ever bring you. That the ball is in your court. God's love is at the front door of your life. And if you will choose to say yes, choose him over yourself and the world. The world awaits you of glory, of life, and of peace. It was in the middle of Saul's obedience that he encountered the prophet. Is it in the middle of him moving? It was in the middle of him moving in obedience, moving in his life. It wasn't in the middle of indecisiveness. It wasn't in the middle of laziness. He wasn't in his bed watching Netflix for eight hours. He wasn't on his, he wasn't on his Twitch account streaming Fortnite and all these other video games. You see, there's nothing wrong with those things. But I am calling us to be a people who move forward in obedience to God. Saul was walking in obedience. And it's in the middle of this obedience that the Lord meets us. It's in the middle of this obedience that God takes your natural and brings a door that he opens to bring you right where we need to be. You see, this is, this is, this is something that I'm going to take a little bit of a... a Detour, thank you. I couldn't find the word. Was, you, you understood by my hand motions, though, that we're going somewhere else. 
playing the tambourine. <laughs> something that I feel like I want to I wanna instill in us. I feel like there's something really special spiritually that we often don't focus on. It has to do with obedience to God. Faithfulness is a fruit of the spirit that's been stolen from your generation. We're like, what's this fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace. That's the fruit of the spirit. Faithfulness is a fruit of the spirit. That when we run after God, he produces in us a faithfulness to him, a faithfulness to the people around us, a faithfulness to our families, a faithfulness that is unseen in the world, especially our generation. That faithfulness is going to be the difference in some of our lives. Faithfulness in our jobs to keep a positive attitude. Faithfulness in our jobs, in our, in our families to be unoffended. Faithfulness in our relationships to keep God at the center. Faithfulness. John 8, 31 says this. It says, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. He says in John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, keep my commands. See, obedience is such a life-giving experience. God meets us in the middle of our disobedience. So if you're in a season of struggle, don't give up. Don't give up. Keep, back, keep getting back up. But that should not be where we stay. We should be moving into, this, into a season of radical obedience to Jesus. Knowing and learning his voice like never before. So God... God wants to direct us and move us forward. And the way that we move is by simple, simple acts of obedience. Simple, simple acts, just like the bike. Just get on your bike. You may not know where you're going. You may not know where your husband and or your, where your wife is. You may not know where your career is. You may not know where, you may not know where your, your community is. You may not know where all these things are. You may not know where you'll be in 10 years, 5 years. You may not know where you'll be in 6 months. But I promise you, all of those things are secondary to the command that God gives us to love Him. So get on your bike. Start pedaling and doing what you know to do. And God promises that if you'll start moving... This is what I know. You can throw that slide up. God's job is to resurrect us. You're all, we're all dead apart from God. The wages of sin is death. It's our job to start moving. It's our job. Do something. Get off your butt. Do something. You don't know what to do? Do what you know what to do because you know what to do. Do something small. Start moving. But as you move, know this. It's God's job to direct you. So don't start moving and just have your ears closed. Start moving and have your mind and your life open to where God's leading you. And as you're going and as you're moving, let God direct you. 
And as, as that happens, you'll let God direct you. And it's our job to obey. See, God can direct us, but if we don't obey, there, nothing will change. And here's what I know. God meets us. He meets us in the middle of obedience. God meets us in the middle of pursuit. He meets us in the middle of pursuit. So I'm going to tell, if you didn't know, my little, a little bit of my story is I originally, so I grew up in the church. I like loved God like I was a good Christian boy. Like I didn't do bad things, but I was very religious and I had a pure heart and a good heart. Like I, I tr really tried to love people, but like I never read my Bible. Like I rarely prayed and I was really immature and, and just, yeah. And so I wasn't a bad kid, but just 18, 19, I went to college, and, and in college, I got a little bit rowdier. Um, <laughs> and then when I was 19, when I was 19, I had an encounter with God that changed my life. And it's not something that was super spiritual. It was a point in my life where I knew that I had, it was a fork in the road. And there was something in me that I wanted all that God had for me. But I'd never verbalized something. I'd never verbalized that I was afraid to give my life to God. And I was with a, with a mentor of mine, and, and it was after a service, and, and I, I went to him, and I just said, I'm afraid. And my mentor prayed with me, and he said, listen, if you'll just take one step, God will handle the rest. And something sparked in me, and I started reading the word for the first time in my life, and I started reading the book of Acts, and I was like, holy moly. And then I found out about this thing called treasure hunting, where I could go out in public and pray for people, and God would actually, like, do things in public with people. And I was like, whoa, and I was immature and kind of crazy, but I started, and then I got in a small group with some of my closest friends, and we started pursuing God together. And then after a few years, I started pursuing God, pursuing God, pursuing God. We had a small group of about 25 guys, and it was incredible. Incredible. We were going after God together. And then I, all, throughout that whole time, I was going to school to be a teacher. I was going to Grace Bible, and then I did a co-op with Cornerstone because I wanted to be a teacher, and I wanted to be a superintendent, eventually principal, then superintendent. And that was my plan. I, I, I had prayers. I had dreams about it. I had dreams about being a superintendent. And they were just my dreams, like hopes that I had. And, and, and I was on this pursuit. I was loving God with my whole heart. I was student taught. I had these kids in my classroom that I loved with my whole heart. And I, it was like my passion. Jesus was moving in my life. And I was in hot pursuit of him. He was in hot pursuit of me. And in the middle of my pursuit, out of nowhere, Pastor Tom Smith asked to go to coffee with me, and he said, do you want to be the pastor of Access? I was like, huh? Huh? Now, what I'm not saying is if you go in hot pursuit of God that he's going to drop a ministry job in your lap because each one of us have different calls. Each one of us have different doors that he'll open. But what the common denominator is, is that, that hot pursuit. If there's no pursuit, there's no door. There's no door. You can pray all you want, but if, you're, if we're not in hot pursuit of him, the door will never be opened. Because God is, not, God is not foolish enough to give you an open door if we do not have him a part of our equation. 
Because if we get the open door and we don't have him included, then we'll just blow everyone up. Hopefully not, but. So I get literally, literally in my pursuit, in the middle of my pursuit, God, but there's literally no way that I could have predicted six months prior to that, that I would be asked to be the pastor of a young adult ministry at Resurrection Life Church. I remember John, I remember the night that I got, it got announced, and John was, John was there, and John was like, what the heck? <laughs> he was like, what is going on? Because we were, we were really good friends, and he was like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, what is going on? And it's proof that when we're in pursuit of Jesus, he will open doors that no man can open. And he will open doors and get you in front of people that you will never be in front of. And he will do things for you. He will make a way where there's no way. But the bottom common denominator, the thing that we cannot replace is pursuit of him. And in that pursuit, he meets us in the middle. See, we only can get halfway in our pursuit. It takes a divine, it takes a supernatural intervention for God to come and take us where we need to go. That's the beauty of Jesus. He takes 12 disciples and he turns them into this revivalist group that changes the entire world. A fisherman, a tax collector, and some bums off the street. And he says, let's go change the world together. This is our God. He meets us in the middle of our pursuit. So what's the greatest command that we have to obey? Matthew 22, 37 through 39 says this. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Most, some of us have probably heard this verse before. I want us to sit on it and to say this, we're talking about obedience before. This is the greatest, and I would argue, the only command that matters. If you get this command right, all other of the commandments fall into place. I was talking to my, I was talking to my mentor a while back, and I was talking to my mentor, and I wasn't, I wasn't doing terrible, but just emotionally, I was dealing with some stress and anxiety, and I was, asking, I was asking my mentor, I'm like, how do I get out of it? Do I need to do this and that and that? I was like, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? Like, how do I get out of this rut? How do I get out of this rut? I just feel stuck. I'm like, you know, I'm stressed and, and just like not sleeping well, and, and, and my, my mentor is so amazing. Uh, he's like, wake up every morning. Say, good morning, Father. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Good morning, Jesus. And he said, I promise you it'll all be fixed. And obviously, it's more than just saying those magic words. He said to Jake, if you'll set your heart to love God, everything else falls into place. If you'll set a schedule to love God, get off your phone, get off the Netflix, wake up 30 minutes before, don't even get in your Bible. Get in your Bible, but not at that time. You see, because the Bible can often get turned into an assignment. But prayer is the primary way that we relate to God spiritually. So he says, wake up every morning, say, good morning, Father, good morning, Holy Spirit, and good morning, Jesus. I love you. And you just, you just relate to God. You relate to him as your father, saying, God, I thank you that you're my father and that you love me. And then he said this to me. He said, 
say good morning and relate to God, love God with your whole heart and your whole mind when no one's looking. And then start praying for things that are so out of your control. Start praying for the city. Start praying for things that are in your life that there's no way that you can do. Because I have a tendency to want to put my hands on everything and make sure that I can be a part of everything. He said, Jake, the thing is that you need to learn that you can't do it all. And you need to start praying that God will do things that you can never do. So I started praying. In the last few months, I have been praying every day that the spirit of oppression and depression and suicide would be broken off of Granville. And I'd be praying that the spirit of religion would get broken off of the city of Granville. And I've been praying that miracle signs and wonders would be a normal occurrence in everyday life of every Christian in Granville. Because I'm praying. You see, I'm moving. See, the biggest problem with us is that we make our lives about ourselves. And Jesus is saying is that if you'll love me, if you'll love me, receive my love, if you'll keep the primary commandment, the primary thing of your life, which is to love me and love people, then all of the other junk in your life will fall into place. Your provision, your finances, your relationships, your job, everything. And I'm not saying they're going to be fixed, but what's going to be fixed is you. You're going to be fixed because right now you're probably thinking way too much about your job relationships and your, and your school. And Jesus is saying, man, you need to make me a little bit bigger and you need to make that a little bit smaller. And the way we do that is through focus. The way we do that is through time spent alone with God, with everything, all distractions laid aside. And this is the place where Jesus says, I will meet you in the middle of pursuit. James 4.8 says this, it says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Oh my gosh. You see, we love these stories. We love to hear these stories of people who are so distant from God, and then God radically saves them. We love these testimonies. Like, Elijah, I love your testimony. Elijah's testimony going from drugs and coming into the, and, and being radically saved by God. But what I love even more is what you've done since then. You see, we love these encounters of people being radically saved, but what God loves even more is taking infant Christians and turning them into mature believers. He loves taking people and saying, I'm going to grow you up into the person that you're called to be. And there doesn't have to be a radical salvation story. There doesn't have to be these big moments. But there, there can be little movement, little growth, little obedience every single day. And God turns the little things into big things over time. But so many people are in a funk. So many people are striving, coming to access, coming to church, reading their Bible, listening to podcasts. But they're still in a funk. And this is what I would have to say. God, James, John 4, 24, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So many people are in a spiritual funk because they never practice their spiritual spirituality. You see, they practice their Christianity, but never their spirituality. They practice their religion, but they never practice and, and learn how to grow in their spirit. You see, it's like a muscle. This is what prayer does. You see, you know why, you know why the Bible calls us to go and, and go into a room and lock the door so no one else can see? Because the flesh is at war with the spirit. 
all the carnal things, the material things are at war with God's spirit. But when we take all those things, we put them aside, we get in a room, we get alone, we start talking to God. Looks like we're crazy. We're either crazy or God's with us. And if God's with us, that should change us. So we go, and I would argue that the reason why so many people are in a spiritual funk is because they do not have enough alone time with Jesus when no one's looking. I wouldn't say enough time. That's not the right word to put it. I would say not enough people, not enough people are getting the quality time that they need with Jesus, practicing their faith and practicing what it looks like to love Jesus spirit to spirit. God meets us in the middle of our pursuit. All right, I'm gonna end with this. If everyone just close your eyes, bow your heads. We're gonna, I'm just gonna go through this and then we'll, we'll Say a prayer. Just focus in on, 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 on these words. You and I are spirit, soul, and body. I am a spirit. I have a soul. I live in a body. There is part of us, there is a part of us, each one of us, that will live forever. It's the true you. It's the real you. It's a you that only you and God truly know. This part of you is called your spirit, and it was designed to be completely connected to God. God made all of humanity to be totally relationally connected to him. But the book of Genesis shows that all of humanity lost their ability to connect with God, and with that separated all of mankind from God forever even our, after our bodies would die. Our spirits were dead. Sin, rebellion, and selfishness crushed our spirits. It made it impossible for man to connect with God. But God, who's so kind, merciful, and loving, sent Jesus to pay the penalty and price for all of humanity's sin. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes and has faith in him will have eternal life. Ephesians says that it is by grace through faith that humanity can be saved. Not by works. Our spirit, your spirit, my spirit must be resurrected in order for us to have relationship with God, in order for us to go to heaven and have eternal life. There is no other way. And the only way for us, for our spirits to be resurrected, is to put our faith, our hope, and our trust in this man, Jesus, and what he did. He gave his life for, as a sacrifice for our sin. God raised him back to life after being dead for three days. This is the first of many who will be raised back to life. This is the hope of Christianity, that we can have life now through a resurrected spirit, but we will be resurrected with Christ for all of eternity. The greatest fear of every man is death, and Jesus solved the fear forever. His life for our death, his life for our life. And the question is, what would a man give 
to save his soul. Our life is a gift, but it is a vapor. It is a breath on a cold morning. God's free gift is that you and I trade our lives for the life that God has given us, that God has for us. It will cost you something. It will cost you your plans, your lust, your lifestyle. But what you gain in return is eternal life, connection with the God of love, peace with God, and the true life you were meant to live. So God has this offer on the table. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, on the name of Jesus, will be saved. And the question today is who here has not placed their trust, their faith in him? Will you turn from your own ways, your opinions, your plans, and choose the life, the spiritually alive life that God has for you? With your eyes still closed, and after hearing that, if that's you and you want to be made spiritually alive and you have been living your own way and you need Jesus to resurrect your spirit, and you've never done that, raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. I see that hand. I see that hand. Yeah. Praise God. Praise God. You can put them down. I see all those hands. Thank you so much. God sees you. He loves you. And today's, the, today's a turning point for you in your relationship with Jesus. So will everyone, will everyone just uh, stand up with me? Stand up with me as we close a pr uh, uh, pray to close. And just repeat, say, have your hands out like this and just repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I want all of you. Holy Spirit, I invite you into every piece of my life. Lead me from this day forward. And just repeat this after me for all those who raised their hands. Everyone repeat it after me. Say, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. I choose you from this day forward. Resurrect my life. Resurrect my spirit. Turn me into the person that you've made me to be. I choose you, Jesus, over myself, over all other religions, over intellectualism, over everything. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, give it up for those people. Come on.